I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football and football season and all the things that go with it. Just the 10 sacks last night for Daniel Jones. One more for the Giants in general, bringing him up to a total of 22 for the season as the New York Giants fall to a pretty miserable defeat at the hands of the Seattle Seahawks. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk uh, some mailbag topics, and we're going to dive into Trevor Sikama's first mock draft. First mock draft? Trevor Sikama, what's up, sir? I think it's technically the second. Okay. But the preseason one is really just, you know, you're throwing darts at the dartboard. Like, you got, we have no idea what the team needs are going to be. You know, people at that point still believed in the New York Giants. Mm. So, you know, it's it's been a long time since then. We've grown up a lot since then. Right. But now, after four weeks of the season, all the information we need is, it, is at hand for an accurate mock draft. Yeah, I'll just give seven quarterbacks to the Giants. Okay, maybe not. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I know we'll get into it. Oh, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Plenty of that still to come. Um, but first, we got to talk to you about uh, we got to talk to you about life insurance. Um, fall is back to school and back to routine checklists. And the most important task on that list should be securing your family's financial future or a quarterback for your team, whichever. Starting with life insurance. <laughs> Fabric by Gerber Life makes it quick, easy, and affordable to protect your family so you can get back to enjoying life. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit you and your family with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued, uh, policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states, prices, subject, underwriting, and health questions. Whew. Okay, Trev, what were your big takeaways from uh, from that game last night? Uh, very worried about the Giants. I, I, I really am. I'm worried about the Daniel Jones thing, and I know that's nothing new to people who were watching. And I've got some like smaller takeaways from that game that are more positive <laughs> for the Giants. Like I thought Wandale Robinson looked awesome right now that he's fully healthy. He looks like he's got some new juice into that offense, something we've been asking for for a while. It feels like they've been rotating a lot of different receivers. I think Wandale could really be really nice. That Kevin Thibodeau had a really nice night as well, a couple of splash plays, but it felt like he was playing very explosive. So it's not like it was totally terrible for the Giants but the biggest thing for them is the offense and it's Daniel Jones part right we went back and forth over the last man it's been much longer than this offseason feels like the last couple of years do you pay Daniel Jones is he the type of franchise quarterback that that you would invest in and I'm not gonna lie man this preseason lied about a lot of things we know that now but it really did lie about the New York Giants because that offense looked nice in the limited amount of time that we saw the starters work in New York Looked like Brian Dable and Daniel Jones and Mike Kafka were just like on the same page, and that offense was really cooking when they were playing in the preseason. It couldn't be different right now. I mean, Jones just the offense is not nearly explosive enough. And if you want to say, hey, the offensive line's not as good as it needs to be, hey, they don't really have the pass catchers that they need to for that to be the case, okay, you might have a point, but there's got to be a time where your quarterback kind of takes over a little bit for you. And it just feels like certainly a quarter of the way through the season. Daniel Jones has not been able to do that. It does not feel like they have that downfield threat, that full open offense to be able to really stretch the field. It's either smaller stuff, first read stuff. Okay, this play went exactly according to plan. Or it goes catastrophically terribly, whether it's a sack or just some kind of a scramble and completion or a turnover or whatever it is. So, man... Sam, it just looks really ugly for the Giants right now. And this was a team that obviously played very, very well last year. Um, I think they impressed a lot of people. Brian Dable wins coach of the year. They look great in the preseason. And it feels like everything is going wrong for them in that quarterback position this year. 
Yeah, and the thing is, that, like that game could have been worse. I mean, early on, you had a few plays that kind of bounced the Giants' way, and if they'd gone the other way, like they could have been in a much deeper hole much earlier on, and the whole thing spiraled out of control. Um, Kenneth Walker had that weird play where he looked like he actually surfed on the body and then got up right. and thought almost. about running it in he for was a touchdown. Almost, he was almost still up. I, yeah, I honestly... I, you could convince me that he was, right? I understand his, his ass cheek grazed or got very close to the turf, but I could be convinced that he never actually hit the ground there. He got up, kind of thought about going to score, and then had to be, like, urged on by the official. Like, no, 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 right. there's no whistle. <laughs> Keep going. Restarted, scored, and then, no, actually, it's, uh, it's, it's, he's down. But they also, um, you know, their punt returner had one of the worst attempts of fielding a punt I've ever seen in my life, just, like, dived at it and didn't even touch it. And then they recovered that ball. If those couple of plays bounce the other way, like the Giants are in a huge hole to start this game and digging and making it even worse, it was bad. Just kind of like, I don't know, man. It felt like a, 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 a water, it feels like a waterfall for this team and, and not in the best way. Maybe I should say like an avalanche, a snowball, but like <laughs> in a negative effect, you know, it's a snowball that's getting bigger that's about to destroy a town. Like, I, that's, that's probably the analogy that I need to be going for here. But, Dable, clearly we saw it last night, very frustrated on the sideline with Daniel Jones' performance. And it just, it doesn't feel like he's seen the game very well. I am haven't looked at the All-22 from this game, so I'm not going to try to, like, bring anything out about deeper coverages and what he might be seeing. But it just, it felt like they had nothing deep. It, you know, Devon Witherspoon says after the game, this is a rookie corner, mind you. You know, he's like, look, we went through the film. We knew that Daniel Jones is not going to get off of his first read. If we shut down the first read, he's going to panic and he's not going to be able to really take advantage of stuff, especially deep, right? When plays break down, you know, we talk about time to throw and and these quarterbacks that can extend plays, they're always so deadly. Why is that? Because it's really, really hard to cover receivers once you get beyond three, four seconds of a play. I mean, when you're into like four seconds, five seconds, six seconds, and the quarterback still has the ball, these DBs, they're they're losing wide receivers, and it's natural that you would do that because the whole field is supposed to become available. That's where you really start to see these chunk plays when the quarterbacks are able to keep their eyes downfield and complete those passes. It felt like none of that was really happening for the Giants, and it felt like it has not happened the whole time. So Jones, who correctly gets identified as a quarterback who has good athleticism to him, people talk about like the escapability factor and being able to extend the play as well. If you can't keep your eyes downfield and if you can't start really making defenses pay, once you are able to get away from bad pockets, you're not playing well outside of structure. Like I don't care how fast you are. I don't care how, how quickly you can get to the sideline or avoid a sack. If nothing comes of it, nothing comes of it. And to me, that's a big area of man. It feels like Daniel Jones is still escaping despite a lot of the sacks they took last night but they're not making defenses pay. If it's not on structure, it feels like Jones just does not have it this year. And people can point to years past where they go, well, he hasn't had it ever. I don't know about ever, but this year, that part of his game to me does not look good. It is either exactly how it was supposed to be scripted or he's off the rails and he's giving you a negative play. I think this is the flip side to the success that they enjoyed last year when... You know, everyone was kind of crediting Brian Dayball and saying, look what this guy is able to do with a guy like Daniel Jones. And I think that's true, but things need to be functional for that to work, right? Like the offense needs to be okay. The pass protection needs to be solid. And then you can kind of dial up number one being open. We talked a bit on Monday about, you know, how that dynamic works with PFF Bobby, Bobby Slowick and, and CJ Stroud or you know, in San Francisco with Brock Purdy and Kyle Shanahan, like if things are okay, if things are going fine, a head coach can dial up an awful lot for a quarterback to just take advantage of what's there. But if it starts to break down, that's when you need the quarterback to do more of the heavy lifting and make up that difference. And right now, you're right, Daniel Jones can't. And actually, arguably his biggest weakness as a quarterback is this like lack of awareness when things are breaking down. Mm -hmm. I it's 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 cruel to compare anybody to Patrick Mahomes because the dude is like unfair but that is the standard like like it or not that's where the bar is now when you think of Patrick Mahomes scrambling or getting out of the pocket 
there's always a guy like chasing him a yard behind him, and he never gets to him. Never, almost never gets to him. Mahomes' awareness—he just—he never gets caught from behind. It feels like you are and, right, and his but his awareness of where that guy is is like otherworldly. He mm-hmm. is always. 100% aware that there's a guy and exactly where he is. And one of the reasons they never catch him is because he doesn't run in a straight line. He runs in like a circle, knowing that you're going to have to like follow him rather than actually cut him off and chase him down. Whereas Daniel Jones, when he breaks away from the pocket or from the pressure, it's like he has blinkers on. He has no awareness of what's around him. And somebody tweeted last night that like it feels like every Daniel Jones sack is a, is a strip sack, is a forced fumble. Like he just yeah. doesn't feel the guy attacking him from a different angle and the ball comes out and then it's a forced fumble on top of the, you know, the broken play and disastrous. It's like if he had just a little bit of that Mahomes awareness, it wouldn't be as bad as it is, but he, he doesn't. That's one of his biggest problems. And that's why that was a, kind of a big takeaway of what I brought up. We we think of Jones and we think of an athletic quarterback. And when you think of these athlete quarterbacks, like, you know, I know we're going to get into mock draft and some draft talk as we do on Tuesdays, but there are a lot of people who will watch these. I'll even say like either somewhat athletic quarterback, like you don't have to be a Lamar Jackson type of quarterback to get this type of out of structure, um, positive note in your scouting report if you are elusive at all whatsoever people will talk about you as a quarterback as a prospect and they'll say like oh but look what he could do out of structure just because he could wiggle a little bit and get out of pressure and outrun some sacks just because you're athletic doesn't mean you're great out of structure yeah out of structure is to me even more mental than it is physical you know because yeah, you still have to be able to escape pressure as it is coming from your back, like you mentioned with what Mahomes does and things like that. But the speed at which you have to process new information is so much faster out of structure. And that's why it is a highly valuable trait. So just because a player can move well does not mean he is an out-of-structure quarterback. These are two, these are two different things. Now, you want to be more athletic, but... To me, I just I think that that's the part of Daniel Jones that feels the most different between how he is viewed, and I would say how he is viewed on the most positive side of things, the people who believe in him and what he could do in his talent level. That's the difference between the people who are most optimistic about Daniel Jones and where he actually is, is he does have that ability, but he doesn't turn it into the production that you would think that he would and that's a problem first year into a second contract coming off the year that the Giants did. Because it's been real disappointing to this point. And their schedule, I'm, I I don't have it right in front of me, but I'm pretty sure it sucks. Like, I'm pretty <laughs> sure their schedule is like is rough. So the fact that they are 1-3 already this year, it could spell out some serious danger for them. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, we... They were the most obvious team in the NFL in terms of an obvi- an, or a clear regression candidate, given what happened last year, and it's hitting I, hard. I would I would have told you the Vikings were the most clear, but I mean I think they're both right. I mean they're both. Well, yeah, that doesn't take away from the Giants. By the way, I just looked it up very quickly. Next two games, this is great. This yeah. is good. This is good bounce back material. At Miami, mm-hmm. at Buffalo, mm-hmm. going well. One and five. I mean, it doesn't get much easier after that. Home to Washington, home to the Jets. Those are two pretty nasty defenses. Okay, then you yeah. get a then you get a break on the road against the Raiders, but then it's at Dallas, at Washington, <laughs> against New England. Yeah, it's a rough schedule. And then you end the year. Two out of your last three games are against the, the Philadelphia Eagles. Right. <laughs> like the, the Giants might genuinely win four games this year. Um, the other thing last night is so Man. the Giants have a bad offensive line, right? And it was bad on paper before the season started, and then it got banged up. And when a bad offensive line has to go into the bench, it's just catastrophic, and that's what we've been seeing. Um, I think it would have got wrecked no matter what happened last night. But the Seahawks were like, well, we don't have a great pass rush, so let's take all doubt out of the equation and let's blitz the hell out of them as well. In addition to being able to win anyway because they don't have a good offensive line, we're also going to scheme up pressure and attack them with the blitz. So Jones was blitzed 40% of the time against Seattle, and it worked a lot. <laughs> like, yeah. 
you know, we saw Devin Witherspoon with sacks. Like, they got pressure from the blitz. They got pressure without blitzing. Like, everything. Even if Daniel Jones, you know, was a clear high-end quarterback, I don't know that he would have had much of a chance to get anything done last night. Well, it's the right recipe, right? You look at what Seattle is doing, you say that's exactly what you should have done. One, not only is Seattle a team that has not been able to get pressure consistently with just their front four all season, like that was an issue for them last year as well. When they picked Devon Witherspoon, where they did very highly in the draft, a lot of people wanted them to take Jalen Carter for that reason, because you got to say, hey, you got to win up front before you get the corners. Uh, Devon Witherspoon very clearly showing you that he is a phenomenal pick uh, regardless of that. But the lack of pass rush or the need to improve there that still existed going into the season and so i think that we saw a little bit of those woes unfortunately in the early games this year so you think okay uh, with a team that doesn't really get home with four anyways you're going to send more bodies in the blitz because you got to be able to rattle those quarterbacks but against the giants it was the perfect game plan because you mentioned you're banged up a little bit clearly the chemistry i think along the offensive line is something that's really struggling and the way that you really attack that is by forcing those guys to have a good feel for one another and force them to communicate. Backups in the NFL, okay, they're backups, but still, if you put them one-on-one with a pass rusher with a guy right in front of them, they will physically, most of the time, I feel like, be able to hold their own. They can, If, if you give them one-on-one blocks, they're in the NFL for a reason. They can hold up, maybe not as well as some of these other guys that are certainly starting above them, but it doesn't have to. I, I don't think it would be catastrophic if you throw a backup offensive lineman in there, depending on who they're going up against. But if you throw the blitz at them, if you start playing a lot of stunts, if you start having one, the, the, the whole defensive line shift to the right while there's an extra blitzer coming from the linebacker level to the left or there's a slot corner blitz from the left or whatever, and you are all of a sudden demanding that they have a really great feel for each other while the play is going on without really being able to communicate, that's how you kill them. That is how you get the better of them, and that's how you affect Daniel Jones the way that Seattle was able to do last night. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I thought we mentioned it before, both of us actually, Devin Witherspoon was fantastic i mean that guy is everywhere he he's exactly like it sounds so obvious every time this happens but it's worth bringing it up because it doesn't always happen like there are plenty of players who don't look the same in the nfl as they did in college but witherspoon looks like the same guy from illinois right he's ahead of the play every single time he reads it before the offense does he's in the right spot at the right time making plays so much of being that player who you may have really liked in college, especially early on in their NFL careers, so much of them achieving that same impact has to do with confidence, right? And there are a lot of factors. And I don't think all of these factors get truly appreciated when we judge these guys in their rookie and even sophomore years, I would say. You're probably moving across the country. You're probably moving to a new city for the first time. You're probably away from your friends and family for the first time. You're adjusting to life. You're probably 22 years old trying to figure out life even outside of football. You've got all these things that you're thinking about in a new environment. It's not something that you're used to. It's a new team. It's a new playbook. It's a new coach. Oh, and guess what? You didn't choose this team, right? You think about that too. These guys, a lot of certainly since high school, have basically chosen everything about where they're at. Now, that's not to say every spot in college is perfect but certainly with the transfer portal as open as it is now you choose to be where you are in college football you don't choose that in the nfl so not only are you acclimating to the speed of the game like everybody talks about the size the strength how fast it is all those things are true but there's so much that goes into how a player plays and their confidence early on in their careers when i saw witherspoon come off the edge and get that sack at the beginning of the game i was like we're good. We're good here. <laughs> like the, the Illinois Devon Witherspoon is there, and this man is fully confident. Now, of course, there's going to be some up and downs throughout the season. He's going to give up some catches, some big plays, some touchdowns. You want to see him bounce back from that as well. But the reason why he is the exact player that we saw at Illinois is because not only is he incredibly talented, he believes in himself, and he believes he's the baddest dude on the field every time he took the field when he was at Illinois. And I think he is already starting to believe that if he doesn't already believe that at the NFL level. That's why we see the talent come out the way that it did last night, even so early on. Yeah, I mean, he's had the kind of start that would give him confidence, even if he didn't have it coming in. And I suspect he did have it coming in. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for what Devin Witherspoon can do. You know, Pete, I, 
the thing that jumped out to me watching his college tape all the way was that how much he reads the game ahead of everybody else. And I, mm-hmm. we talked about this in our sort of pre-draft show, and I don't know if that's, you know, people tend to label that as instincts. I don't know if it's instincts or if it's actual tape study or, or, or just experience. Like the guy played a lot in college as opposed to, you know, one season of amazing play. Whatever it is, he's ahead of the game relative to the people he's playing against. And that still seems to be the case. Apparently, Pete Carroll at one point, I don't know if this was brought up to him or if he specifically kind of went out of his way to address it, but he said he basically reminds him of Troy Palomalu back at USC when Pete Carroll coached Troy Palomalu. Like, maybe the greatest uh, pro- uh, proponent of this type of play in NFL history. Like, nobody was uh, further ahead of the play than Troy Palomalu. Like, it, to the point where it looked like it didn't make any sense, right? Troy Palomalo knows what's coming. That's the only way he can do what he's doing because if he didn't, what he was doing was ridiculous, right? He's timing the snap or he's like at the opposite end of the field that he's supposed to be in three seconds time. It makes no sense unless he knows what's coming. That's what Devin Witherspoon is being compared to by his own coach who's, you know, seen some stuff. Which would be insane if Pete did not personally coach Troy Polamalu, right? right? I think that anybody who has not either played with or coached Troy Polamalu, for somebody to give out a Polamalu comp, I feel like I feel like you're not allowed to do that. But Pete definitely is allowed to do that. And look, I had Devon Witherspoon as CB1 in last year's draft. I had him ahead of Christian Gonzalez, and I think Christian Gonzalez is fantastic as well. I had Gonzalez as a top 10 player. So I, think, I thought both those guys were fantastic. But what gave Witherspoon the edge for me is – a little bit of what you said there it's those instincts it's that read and react ability it's that awareness that was top notch but not only that this dude had some of the best stop start athletic ability that i've seen in a lo- this man could put his foot in the ground click and close on a route the second if not in unison with when the receiver was going to break on their route and you saw that so many times in illinois so the reason why I was so confident that this player was going to be good in the NFL, and I'm not trying to sit here and crown him to the Hall of Fame, you know, two games into his career, but he looks fantastic. And he looks fantastic because of that rare combination of that elite athleticism, which at the NFL level, for you to have elite athleticism is a it, it is an achievement. It is a noteworthy thing, but also just the fact that he sees the game. So he sees it before anybody else, and then he has the athletic ability to make plays on it before anybody else. That was the combination that I love so much with Witherspoon, and I'm so glad that we're getting to see it early on. So the New York Giants now have a negative 76-point differential despite having won a game at some point this season. They're also nine touchdowns in the red in terms of being outscored by the opponents both of those numbers are the worst number in the nfl and as you said their schedule is pretty brutal from here on in i mean and i mean let's be honest i don't want to take away the cardinals win because the the league and the game doesn't really work like that but you sucked badly (laughs) for a full half enough so that people were losing their minds about it and I think you beat the Cardinals because it was more of a learning lesson than anything else uh, for them. Right. I really do feel that way. And also, this could I mean, so easily be 0-4, so easily be 0-6 going into that seventh game against the Washington Commanders. And it is, it is, it, the free fall is crazy for the Giants right now. It's bad. And, you know, they got the comeback. They got the win against Arizona. But let's not let's not forget, Arizona was supposed to be the worst team in the NFL heading into the season. Now, Correct. they're playing feisty. They're better than that, I think. They're they're showing that they're a better team than that, but they're still not good. You know, they, that is that is a lower end of the spectrum team to be getting your win against and it took you to be what 28 nothing down before you finally pulled it out and actually came back and got the win. So, um Yes, you got to win, but it was far from uh, far from confidence-inspiring, and everything else has been absolutely atrocious. It it could be a pretty rough season for the Giants, and uh, we'll get to the the uh, mock draft implications of that in a minute. But first, we're back with another week of football, and DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping us in on the NFL action with great offers every single game day. New customers can get. 
bet, <clears throat> excuse me, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Throw down five on any of this week's epic matchups to walk away an instant winner. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September, which is now it's October. Uh, call, to, oops, call to action. That's what they say. Football's more fun when you're in on the action. So download the app now and sign up with code PFF. New customers can bet just $5 to get 200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL with code PFF. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. Uh... 21 plus all uh, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario see sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility terms and responsible gaming resources uh, bonus bets expire seven days after issuance eligibility and deposit restrictions apply and that's it for what I think is officially the worst uh, red ad read of all time so we got that going Brother, for us in this show. There are much worse. <laughs> there, you, there are so many podcasters that have no business podcasting. You know there have been worse. <laughs> That's true. There's, you know, when you think you're bad, there's always worse out there somewhere, you know? It's like, it's the so, opposite of that idea. There's always a bigger fish somewhere, you know? That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, okay, we're going to get onto your mock draft in just a minute. But first, I want to dive into a, a mailbag question that came in. You might like this. I figure... I need somebody like your expertise for this particular question because given the current okay. state of my uh, my hair, I, I can't. I'm not sure I can. I'm not sure I can <laughs> appropriately comment. Um, so this one is from Brent Jones. Now I don't know if you're familiar with our our long running theory on the podcast, but previously a fan listener, whatever you want to call him, had suggested that there is only so much ginger talent in the NFL, and it can only really mm. be occupied by one human being at a time, right? So what was there was a, a freaky run for a while that, like, when Carson Palmer was amazing, every other ginger was terrible. When Andy Dalton had his best season, right, every other ginger was bad. When Carson Wentz was out of his mind, every other ginger, like, it could only be one guy at a time. Now, this is a, a little bit of a play on that. Um, he says, from Clay Matthews to Alex Anzalone, uh, a little Wingard and the Jags, and it's just from Chase Winovich, um, will Trevor Lawrence recover the power of the long blonde token from here on out? Is it something the old guard of long blondes are giving up from defense? Uh, much the same way the ginger power lingers, barely hanging on to the unmanscaped strands of Dalton is there uh, not enough Goldilocks power to keep the trophy of luscious, flowing, Samson-esque hair from leaving defense to offense? Any under-the-radar Rapunzels? Thanks. Love the show. This is from uh, somebody called Danley, who's Brent Jones, according to his podcast. Anyway, effectively, is Trevor Lawrence now, I think, going to take over the mantle of the long, blonde, flow power? Well, the issue is... Can there can there still only be one, like like the I mean, ginger look, rule? What, because uh, because, because Alex is playing well. True. Right. Yeah. So like if if Alex Anzalone had the crown at one point, does he still have it? And is that why Trevor Lawrence maybe has not ascended to the next level? Is because he can't fully take the powers <laughs> of the long blonde hair for as long as Alex Anzalone is playing well? Might be onto something here. Yeah. Right? I mean, if I've learned one thing from the movie Highlander, it's that there can only be one. So this you is very, this is very true. I mean, hold on here. Aiden Hutchinson's also growing it out. Growing Isn't it out he? though. He's not there yet, right? But but that's what I'm saying. Like, if he keeps playing well, like let's be honest. Right now, it's the best Hutchinson's ever looked at the That's NFL. true. So what you're right? what you're saying is essentially if Trevor... his hair is as long as it's ever been right now. Well, that's that's what I'm saying. If if Trevor Lawrence is to assume his rightful place as one of the great quarterbacks in the NFL, he has to essentially put out a hit on Alex Anzalone. Theoretically, so we don't get in trouble on this podcast. Yeah, theoretically, he might need to do that. Well, yes. I mean, it's a different type of hit, right? He doesn't need to kill him. He just needs to have somebody like run up behind him with a buzz, you know, with the clippers. And just uh, like Samson. Yeah, okay. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and, and he doesn't even need, it doesn't, you know, you don't need to pin him down, take the whole hair off. You just one, and then Anzalone's going to have to get the rest on himself, right? He can't live right because right. then it looks yeah then it looks bad yeah so that's all he needs he needs to pay off somebody 
you know, around Alex Anzalone, friend of the show, to to get close and just take a strip off, and then Alex Anzalone will have to shave his head, and then all the all the Goldilocks power belongs to Trevor Lawrence. That's what we're dealing with here. Dude, I'm looking at Aiden Hutchinson's hair, man. He's growing this bad boy out. We might have bigger problems than Alex Anzalone. <laughs> we, we, we really might. Trevor Lawrence might be in trouble here. Dude, he's gonna have to. There, he's gonna have to shell out a lot of money to stop every blonde NFL player from growing it out. If that's if that's what he needs to do. Dude, I mean Hutchinson's to the point where like he's wearing, you know, he's wearing like the sweat rag oh, during no. the game to keep the hair out yeah. of his face. It's Lawrence gonna be a lot trouble. of work. Lawrence is in trouble. Lawrence is in trouble. <laughs> That's that's the headline of this podcast. Quinn, don't you dare title the show. Trevor Lawrence is in trouble. I don't need that smoke. <laughs> well, this, I mean, all of a sudden, this this casts a new light on why all of his receivers have been letting him down for the last few weeks. You know? Inexplicably, too. Right. You know, it's just, yeah. Trevor Lawrence putting the ball where it needs to go, back corner of the end zone, and, oh, sorry, couldn't get both feet down. Tough luck, yeah. Trev. You know? Yeah. Maybe it's Illuminati thing. Like maybe everybody else into it and is like, no, you can't catch the football because we we can't have two long-haired blondes dominating the NFL at the same time. That's it's. I mean, look, based off the incredibly unscientific methodology of I can't remember it happening. I mean, I can't think of multiple guys at the same time dominating with that kind of haircut. Therefore, it doesn't happen. Therefore, this has been scientifically validated, just like the ginger theory. Certainly since, I would say, 2010, right? I mean, like, football in, like, the 70s, you probably had a lot of long blonde hair dudes. That's true, yeah. Everybody had that kind of weird hair. But it probably, it probably, like, you know, the trend probably resets. The cap, if you will, probably resets every decade, depending on the hairstyle. Yeah, I mean, it's a new world. Like, you, can't, you can't be bringing up the 1970s as a, a methodology right. to, you know, right. disprove what's clearly scientific fact at this point. I mean, that's why Colt McDonald didn't make it in the NFL, because he cut his hair. I mean, it's maybe maybe that's why Chase Winovich wasn't actually great in the NFL because somebody else was already occupying the long. Yeah, that would have been that would have been Angeloni time, right? So Mm -hmm. Winovich was just marginalized. All the talent was gone because somebody had already taken it all. You know, they say that timing is timing's a bitch, and you know sometimes you're just one of the most talented athletes in the world, and you just happen to have long blonde hair. Second. That's tough. I mean, what it really does is raise the possibility that Chase Winovich right now could resuscitate his NFL career <laughs> by just shaving his head. Does it make you better? Well, if I think if you've if you've got the long blonde hair, but somebody else has got all the talent, then surely it's just a drain on your mm, resources. Sure, if you just get sure, rid of it, sure. now you can be good because you're not trying to tap into this blonde hair that somebody else is already using. Really, Nick Mangle probably started it all, you know? Yes. There you go. Nick Mangle probably started this trend. Was there, there must have been some crossover, though, between Nick Mangold and Clay Matthews. That might ruin the whole theory. Oh, yeah. Wait, Matthews. I forgot. Yeah, Clay Matthews is, is, is the OG. Anyway, that brings us beautifully into our next ad read because we're brought, today, brought to you today by Manscaped. He's taking is. a step up from Balloween to bring your face the cleanest shave it's ever seen. So this season, no need to toil and trouble. Manscaped's all-new Handyman is the best way to get rid of that stubble. Featuring a compact design and next-gen skin-safe technology, the Handyman was designed to give you that smooth finish without the mess of a traditional shave. Get the sweetest treat this Halloween by going to manscaped.com and using code PFF for 20% off plus free shipping. It may be spooky season, but you don't want to scare people with a scraggly beard. Give them something to look at with Manscaped's Handyman. Are you tired of bad razor making your neck look like a scary movie? With the Handyman skin-safe technology to help reduce nicks and cuts, you can finally feel confident when going for that close shave. For wet or dry use, feel free to bring this anywhere and everywhere. The compact design and airplane friendliness make this the perfect travel tool for on-the-go. And being able to shave up to three days' growth without the mess of a wet shave is priceless. And for my wolf men with a little more scruff, or just, you know, bearded people like myself and Trev, 
Manscaped's Beard Hedger Pro Kit has everything you need to tame your mane. This cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths, all with one guard, so no more drawers full of extra add-ons collecting cobwebs. That's right, your Halloween costumes may take effort, but beard grooming doesn't need to, when you can get 20 different beard lengths in just one guard. The Beard Hedger is a high-tech piece of art in a travel size package with long-lasting battery, universal charging, and strong motor. There's no trick with this treat. Manscaped has got you covered. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code PFF. For a look as sweet as candy, get yourself the handyman from Manscaped. Now, I gotta say, I haven't used the handyman on account of I haven't, you know, shaved my face in quite a number of years at this point, but mm-hmm. that beard trimmer thing is awesome. Um, I- I gotta get the beard trimmer. I need. I I do need it. That's legit. And the like, it's got as they say, it's got a little wheel thing, and you just dial up or down in terms of how much you know, how close you want it to cut. Uh, and I, it hadn't occurred to me until they were until it was in the ad read there, the long life battery thing. I don't know when I got this thing, but it was a while ago. I haven't charged it yet, and it's not dead. I mean, it's still going. So that thing's legit. It's a an awesome beard trimmer, uh, which you need more when you don't have hair because now you got to think about the transition you can't just like mm. you can't just shave the head and be left with this ridiculous line at the top of your ears you have to mm. you got to do some kind of fade thing to it oh so you do the you do the fade yeah which you mine's need not, mine's not thick enough to do like the 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 beard line fade yeah. well the problem is you can't just like can't just shave this right gone and then just be like there's a line here you've got to yeah, There's got to sure. be some kind of transition, and for that you need the you need the beard trimmer. So right. Manscaped that's is the place to go. That's why you're an artist. It looks good. Now that you point it out, it does look good. I mean, it doesn't look good. Once you're bald, there's no looking. You know, that's not true. You got limited resources. No, 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 no. You could shape it up and get it to the right size appropriately <laughs> yeah, to blend. I mean, the fade works. Let's just put it that way. And the fade only works because. You know, because of the manscape. What do they call that thing? The handyman? No, that's the, the beard head. You're in your, look, you're in your Jason Statham phase, all right? Like, that's, that's just what you need to embrace. <laughs> the Jason Statham phase. I like it. Believe it. All right. Trev, you did a mock draft. Um, I did. I am sure it's the worst mock draft ever because all of them are. But how is this shaping <laughs> up now? Chicago with the number one and number two overall pick. I'm going to assume they're not sticking with Justin Fields at this point. No, uh, they absolutely aren't. And um, Brad Spielberger just posted an article on Twitter that he wrote 3,000 words on how to fix the Bears (laughs) franchise. I haven't read it yet, so I can't wait to dive into that here after this show. But here in this mock draft, you know, if they're picking number one, it's so obvious. They're not going to trade the number one pick again. They're going to be moving on from Justin Fields. And let's be honest, if they're picking number one overall, everyone is probably gone. The entire coaching staff is probably gone. And the only one who might survive it is Ryan Poles. Mm-hmm. I don't think at this point, even if they're picking number one overall, that Poles would be gone. But man, there have been some transactions, it feels like, that have not looked pretty on uh, guys that Poles have brought in. It's it's highlighted, obviously, by what's going on with Chase Claypool right now. And so, you know, believing in Justin Fields uh, over the quarterback class with CJ Stroud and Anthony Richardson in particular look very very good that's a tough pill to swallow the chase claypool trades obviously a tough pill to swallow you you get dj moore saying to the buccaneers when they play the team like oh they're not using you right yeah you're telling me it's like all right that's not great yeah the defensive line can't get after the quarterback and i know that's kind of a work in progress there but you spend a ton of money on on two linebackers it's like man it's uh if they pick number one overall there will be a case to move on from ryan poles even though i don't think that it would happen and probably would tell you it's a little bit too early. Not every GM is perfect. He's figuring it out. So all that to say, pick one and two. I ended up going with two offensive players. Caleb Williams goes number one overall. That was the easy one. Mm -hmm. Number two, I don't want to say is tougher of a selection. This is the one that they got from the Panthers, which, yikes. Um, But it's either, to me, this one comes down to, you're either taking Marvin Harrison Jr., and you're pairing Caleb Williams with an elite wide receiver the second he steps on into the NFL. So you got Marvin Harrison Jr., you got DJ Moore. Or you go with an offensive tackle. And it's a really good offensive tackle class. So a guy like Joe Alt, 
from Notre Dame. Guy like Penn State's Olu Fashano could have been a top 10 pick at offensive tackle last year. Maybe you'd rather go with an offensive line pick to say, hey, we're supporting Caleb Williams by making sure that he's not going to die back there. So that was that's kind of my back and forth of I landed on Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr., but you really could go with um, wide receiver or offensive tackle, I think, for that next pick to help set him up. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the 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 next version of the Panay Sewell versus Jamar Chase debate, except you took yep. the quarterback one pick ahead of them. <laughs> it's like which guy which guy is going to be uh, the the option. The the one argument I think that would make you, I, I don't have a horse in this race. I could be convinced in either direction. Um, but one argument that might make you go for the offensive tackle is just how deep the wide receiver class is every year at this point. Mm-hmm. You, and you can get, you know, their next pick will be the top of the second round. And instead of Chase Claypool, you can actually get somebody that can contribute and maybe be an impact player at the top of the second in wide receiver terms, whereas you're probably not getting that guy on the offensive line at the top of the right. second, or there's a much steeper drop-off at that point. So yeah, Marvin Harrison yeah. may well be generational, and we talked about him before, but you know, we you look at any of the last few draft classes, you're going to be able to find a wide receiver in the second round that comes in and makes a big impact as well. And if you can get that guy in addition to Caleb Williams, in addition to the, the top offensive tackle on the board – now that's a haul that I would get behind. Yeah, yeah. I uh, we we had this conversation on um, NFL Stock Exchange. We did it. We did a mock draft as well, even independent from the one that I did. We myself and Connor Rogers. We went back and forth just doing a new mock. He ended up going with Olu Fashano at two, and that was the conversation that we had. Is Olu looks very, very good in terms of a pass protecting offensive tackle. I mean, the dude moves super well. He's so fluid he's so dominant at pass blocking already even as a college player needs to get stronger needs to be a little bit more of a force in the run game but i think that's something that could definitely um, be taught it's very it's a lot tougher to teach those pass blocking tools so a player like that even for as special as marvin harrison jr is the capitalistic supply and demand of how many of these types of guys are going to be available would probably lend itself towards you taking the offensive line pick and then having Olu as your left tackle and uh, and Darnell Wright as your right tackle for the foreseeable future. So those are the only two undefeated, or not undefeated, un- lack of win teams. What the un- un- unwind, un- unwinded. Yeah, unvictoried <laughs> teams in the NFL. The only teams that have yet to re- record any kind of victory, and Chicago owns the draft pick for both of them. Uh, the next three teams, um, all one and three, the Las Vegas Raiders at number three, the Denver Broncos number four, the Minnesota Vikings at number five. What have we done there? Yeah, so QB for the Raiders, this one's easy. Um, and in reality, I think that the Chicago Bears at number two overall, certainly after they take Caleb Williams, will be having an auction for that number two overall pick if Drake May ends up becoming the prospect that we believe that he can. Because if there are four or five teams that need a quarterback and they're all picking in the top 12, maybe even all picking in the top 10, Chicago can move back down from that two spot, continue to acquire first-round picks in in future years to own the draft the way that they do. And you can still get a, probably a really good offensive tackle and a really good wide receiver, kind of the conversation that we were having there. So didn't have trades in this mock, so it was easy. Vegas going with May at three. Denver Broncos, I didn't have them taking a quarterback just because the Russell Wilson contract is atrocious. And I I don't know how much you can really get out of that, even if you wanted to. And maybe uh, if there's any head coach that's going to be bold enough to do this, I guess maybe it's it's Sean Payton, but bench a guy who's taking up $55 million of your cap space because he's just not good enough at quarterback and you're going to draft what quarterback in this draft. I guess Sean Payton might be crazy enough to do it, but I'm just not convinced of that. So instead, I had him taking an edge rusher. I love Layatu Latu from UCLA, six foot five, 265 pounds. I, just the handwork is brilliant. He's got such a fluid and productive combination of size, speed, and especially flexibility, man. You can put this guy with his hand in the dirt in a three point stance, or he can rush from a two point stance. No matter what, he feels like a, a mismatch for any offensive tackle that he's gone up against. So he's he is my number four overall pick. He's my number one edge rusher in this draft. And then five Vikings. This is where this is where the mock draft exercise starts to be different from a big board. Where I have them taking JJ McCarthy from Michigan. 
And not only do I not have J.J. McCarthy in my top 40 right now, he wouldn't even be my next quarterback off the board. Bo Nix would be the next highest quarterback for me in my rankings. But mock draft exercises are naturally more towards predicting what you think is going to happen. And at this time of year, it's it's a little bit of a mix between guys that you want to shout out and guys that you think are first-round picks versus kind of what you think is going to happen um, once April rolls around. But it feels like the NFL is higher on McCarthy. It feels like a lot of people are very, very in on him, that he's going to be a first-round pick. He's playing well this year. This is the best that he's ever looked. You know, you and I talked about this a little bit a couple of shows ago. But it's hard for me to have the Vikings picking at number five and them not taking a quarterback, even if I don't have another one that's close to number five on my big board. Because if the Vikings pick at five, you and I have talked about this. Kirk Cousins is not going to be on the team. They're going to have a different quarterback. So what? what I mean, what am I going to do? Give him a corner, and and people are like, okay, where they're picking at five, and you got to pick at a corner, and they're not going to have a quarterback. So I think that kind of um, breaks the exercise a little bit, at least the integrity of what you do mock drafts for. So that's why I ended up having McCarthy going number five because I feel like the league is 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 higher on than him on higher on him than I am. And if Minnesota's pick at five, they're going to pick a quarterback. So is he a player? Let's let's fast forward this, you know, however many months we are till till April, and think that's that's going to be the the case. This is this will be the top five. Let's say nothing changes. Um, do you anticipate JJ McCarthy actually being seen as this kind of top ten prospect at that point, or are the Vikings making this pick knowing that it's a big reach even at that point, but they need a quarterback? Stare. Uh... As the cliche goes, a lot of ball game left. And right. honestly, the reason why I think there's still reservation about McCarthy, even though he's looked really good this year, is he didn't really play anybody. And unfortunately for Michigan, they're not really going to play anybody until they play Penn State a little bit later in the year. And then they play Ohio State, obviously. They're going to play in the Big Ten Championship, but I don't know who their opponent's going to be in the Big Ten Championship. Last year it was Purdue, and it wasn't really a matchup at all. We knew that Michigan was going to run away with that game, and they pretty much did. And then you probably have the inevitable college football playoff. And Kim McCarthy played better in the college football playoff than he did this past, uh, the, the, the last time that they were there last year. Those are the questions that will have to get answered with McCarthy. So I don't think it's going to be nearly as much of an unknown as it is right now of what McCarthy's stock is going to be because we will have those games that you can point to and say he played well against good opponents, he played well against good defenses, he played well when the lights were brightest, versus right now where you just go, yeah, okay, he's playing really well, but Michigan's so far and away more talented in every team that they played. I mean, for goodness sake, Michigan scored, scored more than 40 every single game, and they have yet to give up more than 10 points in a single game. They've beaten every single opponent in a not-even-close fashion. So where I recognize McCarthy does look a lot better this year, to me, it doesn't really matter until he faces those better teams. But we'll we'll get our answer by then, even though it's going to take a little bit longer. Right. Next three teams up in the uh, in the list are non-teams people would have expected at the start of the season. Uh, New York Jets, number six, with their 1-3 and three record. Cincinnati Bengals, number seven, with their 1-3 mm-hmm. and three record. And the New England Patriots, number eight, with their 1-3 and three record. So, yeah. I think there's a healthy chance that two of these teams are picking relatively high. I still think even with all the disaster that's been happening so far, the Bengals are too good to to rank this high in a in a mock draft or in a in a draft by the time April rolls around or even the end of the season, they'll get enough wins to get themselves out. But where have we gone with these three picks? Yeah, I mean, if New York's picking top 10, I think it's going to be O-line. Like, I think you're all in on the Aaron Rodgers one-year thing with 2024, and you're trying to make the offensive line as good as possible. It doesn't matter if you go like, oh, you know, Beckton, you know, play better. We don't need an O-lineman. Uh, shut up. Everybody needs O-lineman, <laughs> especially when you are competing for a Super Bowl. You just – you have – there can be zero questions in the trenches. And right now, there's no questions about their defensive trenches. They're one of the best in the NFL, if not the best – if not the best in the NFL in that category – and to and the other side of things, okay, there's things to like on the offensive line, but Dwayne Brown's going to be gone. You have Elijah Vera Tucker as a flexible guy, but why not draft Olu Fashano or Joe Alt, be able to play him and, and Mekhi Beck in a tackle, kick uh, ABT inside, let Joe Tipman play inside as well. So that's the better scenario for me. Bengals, kind of the same thing. Offensive line's not good enough, plain and simple. So they get their chance to draft 
Joe Waller, Ola Pachano, I think they absolutely should. They could be plug-and-play guys at right tackle, move on from Jonah Williams. And then uh, New England at eight, I had them going with quarterback, and this is where I had Bo Nix going off the board because, one, I think that <laughs> – I think Bill Belichick's going to like Bo Nix a lot. I think he's going to like the experience. I think he's going to like the growth. Bo Nix has legit NFL arm talent. He is a dual threat player who can operate an RPO offense really well. I think a lot of people look at like, oh, you know, he's just a screen merchant. Like it's the short average depth of target passes. And sure, there's a lot of those built into Oregon's offense, but don't let the take away from some of the really big throws that he's been able to make. I think Nix was off on a handful of his deep passes earlier on this season. But if he hits those things, man, I mean, we're talking about a Heisman candidate. And so I, I think that his talent level is a lot better uh, that people are giving him credit for. People think about the Auburn days with Bo Nix, and it's, he's just not that quarterback anymore. He's not. So I think the Patriots would love him, and I really don't see the Mac Jones experience surviving past this year. I don't. We're already sitting here poking holes in it and questioning it, and we're four games into the season. Uh, I just I can't see it lasting beyond this year. Yeah, particularly, I mean, if the Patriots overall are bad – it's almost reason enough to kind of press the reboot at that spot and, you know, go yeah. in a different direction. Um, the last two teams in the top 10, the Arizona Cardinals, who people expected to be picking number one and number two, yeah. uh, and the New York Giants after their dismal defeat last night are now picking 10th. So where are those two teams headed? I So I give the Arizona Cardinals Brock Bowers just because he's an insane talent and even though he's labeled as a tight end, he would be wide receiver one for them. I mean, they would run the offense through that guy. But uh, shout out like Michael Wilson, a wide receiver mm -hmm. that I really liked in last year's class, who's already showing out and playing well. They're getting some stuff out of Rondell Moore, which is nice. And all of a sudden, if you got Michael Wilson, you got Rondell Moore, you got Brock Bauer. It's not bad. It's not complete. It's not one of the best in the NFL, but it's nice. It's certainly a lot better. And you like that building block moving forward on offense. They definitely need help on the defensive side of the football as well. So, you know, an edge rusher here, certainly if they want to take CB1, if they're available, uh, an interior defensive lineman, a Leonard Taylor, a Jerzon Newton, one of those guys on the interior to really shore things up. I think that that could certainly be a target for them as well. But um, rounding it out with the Giants picking in the top 10, we just went over their schedule. I think the Giants are going to end up picking a lot higher than this if they are. Quarterback conversation starts to creep up, but Daniel Jones' contract is kind of tough over these next two years. He's basically at least the starter for 2024, and then you got a little bit of an out for him the year after that, so it's not the worst thing in the world. But for this mock draft, I had them going with a wide receiver, Keon Coleman, who has been a big contested catch dude that we have already seen this season play with some big-time moments and some big-time receptions for Florida State. So six foot four, 215 pounds is Keon Coleman. He transferred over from Michigan State to Florida State, and you're already seeing him deliver on 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 a big stage. So he is that type of alpha wide receiver one, that X type of receiver who can play on the line of scrimmage, play with strength, get off press. He's very comfortable hand fighting, taking contact, going up and turning those 50-50 balls into 60 or 70% leaning his way. That's just the type of receiver he is. And he makes those type of catches that just gets the entire offense hyped up. You know, when you have that kind of player that you know you can go to, even if they're even if they're covered, even if they got guys on him and you have faith in your guy because he comes down with them, man, that just invigorates everything on the offense. And I think that kind of spark is one of a few things that the Giants are missing on offense. But uh, regardless of what's going on at quarterback, they could definitely use a player like that. Yeah, I love the look of uh, Coleman. Talk to me about Brock Bowers. Um, as you said, He's sort of labeled as a tight end, uh, clearly has just overall receiver skills. Mm -hmm. um, that, though, is setting off warning alarms for everybody that is still traumatized over the deployment of Kyle Pitts in Atlanta and the lack of success so far. So talk to me about Bowers generally and why you shouldn't panic because Kyle Pitts is languishing in this offense, not doing anything. You know, it, it's funny because uh, <laughs> Arthur Smith would actually love Brock Bowers. <laughs> he really would because of how much Bowers blocks his ass off. But, uh, you know, I, I, I just it, you can't really look at the situation in Atlanta and how Kyle Pitts is not being force fed the football and think, well, we can't do this with any other tight end. Brock Bowers is an incredible talent, man. And I think that we're seeing around the league that. Every offense is a little bit different. I mean, look what Sam Laporta is doing this year with Detroit. You know, if, if you would plug Brock Bowers into the spot where Detroit has Sam Laporta, very clearly they're not afraid to get him the ball, and Brock Bowers might be leading this team in receiving. So he is somebody who 
man, he gives you his absolute all as a blocker. He has had an elite overall grade in all three seasons that he has played college football. True freshman year, he became a starter, first and foremost, because he'll block his ass off for you, and he's not going to be a liability in the run game. But he's also a great receiver and a yards-after-the-catch monster. Sophomore year, he won the award for best tight end in the country. Third year, this year, he's probably going to win it again. So the production, the volume, the overall ability from him is so high. Now, here is where I get a little bit worried about, I won't even say worried about Brock Bowers. I will say worried about the hype with Brock Bowers. Because right now, it feels like Brock has a good game, has some good catches, and people go nuts for him. He's a great prospect. Love the dude. I really do. But he's listed at Georgia at six foot four, 240 pounds. I have heard broadcasts say he's more like six, three and a half, 235, maybe. Both of those numbers, if he's six, three and a half, 235 pounds, those are both fifth percentile and below for a tight end. So he is just different now the game especially at the nfl level has gone more towards smaller tight ends more of these receiving tight ends so you don't see these big hulking guys that have to be able to block first they're 265 pounds sometimes it's not like that but not always bowers is going to be a little bit different and how you deploy him has to be a little bit different if you just want him to be this like inline blocking type of tight end one who also gives you some receiving ability Sure, he has the strength to be able to do that for you. I think pound for pound, he's a really strong dude despite being 235. But you would want him in an offense that's going to get him more creative. You really do. You want him in like, I don't know, that old school like Jimmy Graham role where I was a little bit more in line, but like you're using him plenty as a receiver. Like he's a go-to player for you while also being able to stay in line. So I'm not worried about Brock Bowers at all whatsoever because I'm very comfortable about how I view the player. But I'm also taking into account that he is probably a shade under 6'4", probably a little bit under 240. And that's just going to require an offensive coordinator to see him as a tight end a little bit differently. And if you use him as a slot receiver, if you use him as the guy who's the crown of a of a bunch formation, and even if you use him out of the backfield a little bit in like a wing formation, like he's going to be phenomenal for you. He's going to be a damn good football player. So I'm not worried about him at all. I'm really not. Um, I think you also have to see somebody like that as a genuine wide receiver, tight end, tweener without the negative connotations of that. Like we're yes. in a world now that used to be a problem, right? Like. Dustin Kellers of the world. These guys weren't either, really. Um, but possibly why they weren't either is that the league didn't really have a good handle on how to make that work. Whereas now, I mean, Travis Kelsey is a tight end wide receiver tweener, right? That guy for his career has spent about 25% of his snaps lined up out wide, like as a wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is he in the slot? The slot is like 40% of his snaps and then only 34% of his snaps are spent in line as a tight end, like a traditional that's, tight end. That's basically, that's basically the split that you would want with Bowers. Right. And, and then people are going to come back at you and be like, okay, but Travis Kelsey is 6'5", mm-hmm. 255. Yeah. So, he, so he, is, he is that much bigger than Brock Bowers, but that only leans more into you just have to be creative with where you line him up. You yeah. cannot look at him and just say, oh, yeah, traditional, we're going to play him on the line of scrimmage. 50% of the time, and we'll put him as a slot receiver for 50% of the time. I think you're doing yourself a disservice to the player if that's right. the case. And, and the point being that the Chiefs have deployed Travis Kelsey for his entire career as a true, genuine wide receiver tight end tweener, right? It's just that we don't see that as a problem because it works because Travis Kelsey's amazing. And if right. you look you know, on a game level, there are games where he's spending 50% of his snaps lined up as a wide receiver, out wide as the furthest guy on, uh, in the formation. Again, like there's no reason Brock Bowers can't do that. The guy runs like a 4-5, so even if he is a little bit small or lightweight for a tight end, he makes up for that with genuine sort of wide receiver type speed. So absolutely deploy him in that kind of role and just don't see it as a negative thing. See it as a positive problem to be embraced. Um, so I, I was just gonna I was just gonna throw out some numbers for Bowers. So nice. his freshman season, he played. Um, 
the most snaps in line, it's like 45% in line. Slot's going to be like 30. I'm just doing math off the top of my head. And then out wide's like somewhere around like 10%. Last year, it was different. Last year, he played the most snaps in the slot. He played 416 snaps in the slot, and he played 338 in line. But then this year, he's playing a little bit more in line. And um, it's, it's 133 snaps in line and then 108 as a slot. So he's you're kind of like hovering around this 50-50 split. But I think when you get to the NFL level, to me, it should be more of he's he like you were you were clearly putting him in the slot more than you are in line, even though he has that flexibility to be able to do both for you. Right. Um, all right. So there's uh, the rest of this first round to go. You can get it on PFF.com. But pick me out a couple of picks from the next 22 selections that you think are really worth talking about. Oh, OK. Um, I love the Houston Texans getting Malik Neighbors, uh, the wide receiver from LSU. You and I talked about him when we went through the wide receiver episode. Mm-hmm. I think it was last week. Yep. And I feel as though CJ Stroud's doing a great job with the receivers that he has now. Man, if you give him Malik Neighbors, I think that's a really good QB wide receiver combo. So that is a pick that I really like. I also shoot on that very screen right there. I like Jacksonville getting Graham Barton. He's one of my favorite offensive linemen in this class. He's a left tackle right now for Duke, but it's going to be one of those situations where we talk about him. Like we talked about Elijah Vera Tucker and Peter Skaronsky where, okay, they played tackle in college, probably not going to play tackle at the NFL level, unless it's a fill in role. And when they fill in in that spot, I think they'll do fine. I think he's more of an interior guy. Jacksonville definitely needs help in that area. I had the Atlanta Falcons taking Michael Penix Jr. Quarterback upgrade over Desmond Ritter. So they're picking at 19. So it's not like they got a ton of quarterbacks to choose from, but it's going to be a loaded quarterback class. So I think that they're going to have their chance to do it. Mm. Jerzon Newton, the defensive tackle from Illinois. I have him going to the Seahawks. I think that's kind of the, the, the player that they need. And then, Oh, I did like this one a lot. Cam Kinchin's the safety from Miami, who to me is without question the best safety in this draft. I have him going to the Buffalo Bills at 28 because, you know, Poyer and Micah Hyde, they're getting a little bit up there in age, and this dude can fill in for either one of them. Like, he could play free safety for you. He could play box safety for you. He's got great athleticism, good anticipation. Um, I think he's built the right way to be a durable safety who could do a lot of different things for you. So that was one that I went, man, this makes – a ton of say. If Buffalo is not going to go offensive line at all whatsoever in the first round, like if they're not thinking about offensive tackle, then safety spot I think is one that they could really look for, especially if Kinches is that guy. I think my favorite pick of your the, the ones that we haven't covered so far, you have given the Dallas Cowboys, who currently lead the NFL in pressure rate with 55% on defense, right. an edge rusher, Jared Verse, <laughs> to really just pour gas on the fire. Well, I like that because one – Jared Verse lasting all the way till 24 in this mock draft. It's like, man, that's just really good value no matter how you no matter how you slice it up. And then the other one is DeMarcus Lawrence. He's over the age of 30 now. He's 31 this year. A lot of the dead cap kind of comes off this contract next season. So he if they wanted to get more flexible with him in 2024 or even 2025, they could. Um, and I think that Verse would be somebody who to be in the same room with Micah Parsons and then even for him to get to learn from Demarcus Lawrence for a year before they maybe move on from him. Like that is just a great combination. You, you, I'm never satisfied as a team builder in the trenches. I'm really not, whether it's offensive line or whether it's defensive line, you don't want to go totally overboard when it, but when it comes to like building for the future and always having that farm system of guys to where you are one of the better teams in the trenches, no matter what I'm, I'm always interested in that. And so unless another major glaring need were to show up for Dallas right now, they're a really good solid football team all around. And I would continue to make a strength to strength. And that's why I, I ended up giving them verse. I, I mean, I'm all for it. Like I think the league is showing at the moment, you, you're never set at pass rusher. You're never set no. at several positions, right? You can never have too many amazing receivers. You can never have too many amazing defensive backs. You can never have too many pass rushers. It, just because it's a strength doesn't mean you stop loading up there. You keep loading and make a strength an even bigger strength. So I'm absolutely all for that. Anyway, go to pff.com and check out the rest of Trevor's mock. Read all of his selections and who your team is going to grab. That's it for today, Trev. Thanks for... Uh, 
showing up to the show. I think tomorrow it's going to be uh, a week preview for myself and Steve. Mm. We're going to go a day early because when we did that in week two, the feedback was insane. So we're going to give it another shot and see if that was just a one-week thing or if people do, in fact, demand the preview show moves to Wednesday going forward. So Steve will be back tomorrow, and uh, we will be back on Thursday and Friday with uh, Steve and Brad as well. So that's it for us. Thank you for listening to the show, and we'll talk to you soon.